welcome to the Workplace Warrior Podcast, where we have people from around the world share with you their journey to expand human consciousness and bring evolution to our modern day workplace, where the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Every warrior has a beginning to their journey. Daniela, can you share with us the start of your workplace warrior journey? Absolutely. So my story is, I think, a bit unique. Um, Starts back 32 years ago, which is exactly how old I am. And I like to say that I've been studying organizational behavior for 32 years. And I started when I was born into a pretty horrific religious cult called the Children of God. And in fact, my mother was born and raised in that too. So multiple generations um, in this cult that started off, you know, not trying to become a horrible cult. They started off in the 60s as a home for counterculture hippies and a mission of love, faith, and Jesus and spreading the gospel and preparing for the end of the world. And it slowly became this very insular, very large 10,000 members, lasted over 50 years. And the estimate is that about 100,000 people at some point had full-time membership in this cult, living in communes all over the world. Children didn't go to school. Um, and eventually it ended up becoming you know, one of what I believe is the largest organizations in history to promote religious prostitution. It got involved with, you know, pedophilia, incest, child marriages, and very, very apocalyptic theory, and pretty much all of the just worst things that you would never want an organization to be. So when I was 15, I sort of escaped that life, ended up moving for the first time for me to the U.S., even though I was a U.S. citizen, I was raised in other mostly third world countries, moved here, kind of had to shift my whole mindset. I was, you know, then enrolled in high school and college and started to learn a bit about U.S. organizations. After college, I ended up commissioning into the United States Army and you know, I will literally never forget being at basic training, looking around as you're being yelled at by these, you know, drill sergeants and these big scary hats mm-hmm. and realizing that someone owns every movement and every part of your life once again and thinking to myself, oh, my God, did I just join another cult? Um and so, you know, it was it was very interesting for me sort of going through, I ended up spending six and a half years in active duty in the military and realizing that even though these organizations like a religious cult, like a university, like the United States Army were so different from each other, there was actually more similarities 
then there were differences. And it's kind of brought me to this place of thinking about how group behavior works and how, you know, this interesting concept that I've now learned is a is a well-known psychological concept that human beings want so much to be a part of a group and they will do almost anything Mm -hmm. to be a part of a group. And so I, you know, confronted that for, of course, my whole life. And during my time in the military, I also got the, you know, pretty amazing opportunity to be part of the first group of women that was doing ground combat, like deliberate ground combat in Afghanistan, um, which was the first time in history of our country that women were being put into combat with the men on purpose. And, you know, at the time, it just kind of seemed like a fun mission, something to get out from behind my military intelligence desk and go out and play in the sand with the boys and prove myself. And it, you know, turned into another sort of culture thing. It turned into an incredible amount of culture change that when we finally started putting women into combat, we realized not only do we need women out there, but, you know, women bring an entirely different perspective to the fight. And it pretty much boiled down to that, you know, if men and women are both trying to kill you, which they were in this war, then you really want to have both men and women trying to keep you alive. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, this whole journey for me was not something, I guess, that I was seeing in a very linear fashion until I had one of my leaders, one of my managers say to me, you know, hear about my background and then ask me if I was aware of all of the different value of all of my sort of incredibly unique experiences and how they all ran together And I didn't realize it then. This was about six years ago. Um, And since then, I have spent, you know, about six years dealing with these ideas and these theories and how this comes into play in the workplace. And, you know, what I've figured out and what I do now is that, you know, culture is important. Everyone knows that. Everyone says that they want to build a great culture. But very few companies, organizations, or even like families have an actual plan and an actual strategy for the culture that they're trying to build. And to me, that has stood out so much because people, when they hear about the cult, they think that it's so obvious. They think that normal people would just walk away when things start to Mm -hmm. get really bad. And- You know, actually, I these days more and more will compare it to like military training, like military initial training is about breaking you down and reprogramming your mind. And that is what to different levels and different degrees, every level of onboarding is right. It's about programming you to be a part of a team. And the more you fit in with this team, the more camaraderie you're going to have, the more, you know, group identity and essentially culture. And this is sort of what brings me to one of my big taglines these days that I say, you know, you can't spell culture without cult. And everything that you're trying to do to build these these good, positive workplace cultures that we all are striving for in 2019, 
also has these downsides, you know, and if you don't find the balance, if you don't have the strategy, have the right checkpoints, have the right outside influences, you might be building your amazing team, your camaraderie, your mission, your purpose, but you're going to end up with this, you know, potentially very insular cult that is not doing anything good in the world. So that's my journey. Wow. Um, heck of a start and then heck of a journey. So we've got a lot to uh, unravel, I think. And I kind of want to start, you know, it it sounds like not only was it, you know, uh, a shift with the cult mindset and things like that and being brought up in that environment, right, with with the subconscious and things, but also culturally because you were moving around and moved to an entirely different country. So when you did transition and move and, you know, kind of figured out what all was going on, like what age did kind of all that started clicking for you? And you were like, wait, something's not right here, especially when you didn't, you know, move to the U S and, you know, we're getting ingrained with the culture here in the States and things like that with public schools and so forth and so on. So what did that kind of look like? Yeah. So this will be a great time for me to talk about First of all, I'm writing all of this in a book. <laughs> so hopefully, if people are interested, follow me on social media, because I'm, I'm literally digging into writing this story as a culture shift. Um, and, you know, it's hard to really explain when that's all you know, and, and how hard it is to shift your mindset. And the closest thing I can kind of come up with for, you know, the normal American person is just imagine all of a sudden you learn that, you know, communism is the right way and the USSR had it right. And all of a sudden you have to change your entire worldview. So that was something that was going on for me for quite a while as I was starting to realize that you know, other people were different, I would say from about the age of six. But I had a, a real moment on 9-11 when this was the first time I'd seen live news on TV ever. And uh. I was, you know, watching it pretty horrified until I started to hear, you know, people praising God around me and people talking about 9-11 as... God's judgment on evil America, which was essentially totally in line with what we'd always been taught. And, you know, it was the first time I heard the term religious extremism. And somewhere along the way that day, I realized, you know, I don't think this is, this is right. Um, And I was 14. I you know, ended up taking me about another year and a half, almost two years to kind of really make my break with the cult. But that was the moment that I pretty much decided, okay, I need to get away and and all of that. And so, you know, and definitely to the point of the culture stuff, it was like very interesting for me because I grew up, you know, an American born abroad as a, you know, I'm very white, very blonde. Um, living in Brazil, like always thinking of myself as an American until the biggest culture shock I've ever had in my life was the first time I landed in the United States. And it was very challenging for me. I mean, high school was miserable and college was a little bit better because I was able to surround myself with just foreigners. 
Um, and it has been this entire process of sort of becoming an American throughout my teenage and adult life. But I would say one of the the benefits to that or one of the things that I've really developed on that part of the journey and on my the way I look at culture is that, you know, I kind of got this gift where I was never normal. And so I realizing that my normal wasn't everyone else's normal then allowed me to just sort of be very much more accepting of other people's life experiences. And it also makes it very obvious to me when people are just totally socialized that one way is the right way and they're not willing mm-hmm. to accept anything else. I mean, you see that, you know, in the military very, very strongly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see that with patriotism and you see it with politics and it's all very, you know, everywhere we look, there's this idea that you have to accept what's going on around you. And the fact is you don't like you can pick and choose what you want to be a part of in your life. I like that. And because it it couldn't have really been a hard decision or it was a hard decision on how you were able to pull yourself out of that, especially, you know, you only know what you know, right? Especially being so young and you've been taught and shown these things for, you know, 13, 14, 15 years of your life. Like, how are you able to do that? I mean, that blows my mind because so many people, right? I think as we become adults and, you know, when we start talking about the workplace and some other things, but even us as, as human beings, right, we're trying to do all this undoing right to our subconscious from our childhood, from the things that like impacted us the most. How are you able to really pull yourself from that and separate that, especially in such a in such a moment where you just, your whole world shifted, your reality shifted, you were in literally a different country and different environment, different types of people. And, you know, all this going on with politics, like you said, and uh, 9-11, how were you able to kind of snap out of that? <laughs> so, you know, the first important part of the answer to that question is it was a long process, you know, um, and I think that's important for any time we think of transition and change, but also for, you know, companies that are trying to focus on culture transformation and all that. It's, it is a process. So, you know, today I hear a lot, oh, you're, you know, you're so strong, you're so sort of not brainwashed. And I think, well, you know, when I was 15 years old, I definitely was, you know, I remember the first time I was trying to figure out how to pay for college. And I wrote an essay that was titled, I was raised in a cult. And I was shaking. I mean, you don't call it that you don't think of it like that. I had been trained my whole life that we are not a cult, we are, you know, God's ultimate army, and this is the right thing. And so, you know, it's it's very much a process that takes a long, long time. I mean, I struggled with suicide for a full decade. I, you know, had a very, very hard time um, relating to people. I literally at one point in my professional career, I was 24 years old and I said, all right, I need to learn about people. (laughs) And I started like studying human relations essentially because, that was something I had, you know, never developed throughout my childhood. 
And so I think, you know, it's important for everyone to kind of realize, look, your yourself and your socialization is a process and also that you never get rid of it, right? You never get over it, which is why, you know, very much these days I am writing this book and telling these stories as a whole part of a story. You know, I am a girl that was raised in a cult. I am a woman that served in the military and all of those things together are part of who I am and how I'm socialized. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can change the way you look at it, but you can't change the experiences that you went through. Yeah. It's so super fascinating, Danielle, which is why I was so excited to have you on the podcast in the first place. But um, yeah, quick question for you. So you, I love that term that you used. Um, You can't spell culture without cult. There seems like there's a negative inference when we use that word, but I'm curious based on your experiences, obviously you wanted to remove yourself from that situation, but um, is there necessarily only purely negative connotation that has to be associated with that? Or how do you look at that term cult in terms of like the workplace today or the organizations that people are part of in their normal, you know, everyday lives now? Yeah, so that's a really important concept. And the word cult and the word culture come from the same place in Latin. They come from to cultivate. And, you know, what I think is so interesting is, you know, I say too a lot that when when people say, oh, I can't understand how anyone could be a part of that. Well, cults, like what we traditionally call a cult, like they do a lot of things right as far as human relationships. You know, they are giving people connection and brotherhood and a mission and a purpose. And humans are looking for that no matter where they are. And so I think our tendency to want to put everything in such black and white boxes is part of the reason that everyone struggles with this idea of culture. Because of course, there were good things in the cult. You know, same thing uh, in the military. I had amazing experiences. I also had horrible experiences. I couldn't wait to get out. I also missed it as soon as I was out and still miss it. And that's one of the things that veterans actually really struggle with is, you know, well, if it was so traumatizing, if it was so hard, why do I miss it on the outside? And it's because you need to have that sense of connection and that sense of community. And I think that is, you know, what I'm really getting to when I say you can't spell culture without cult for business leaders is two things. It's first of all, you really need to have a like written planned out strategy for building your culture. Because if you don't, like, how do you know what you're building? You know, you start off with all the best intentions in the world and you just go horribly wrong. And the other part is, you know, I I really truly believe that good and bad are two sides of the same coin and that, you know, for example, group identity, right? Group identity is something everyone wants. Like everyone wants people to be super strongly connected to each other and every business knows that that's going to make your employees like happier and healthier and do more for you. But the flip side of group identity, or when you go just a little bit too far, you like hit up against group think very quickly. And that's where you start becoming, you know, a a cult. And, 
you know, with that term, I also, I do think like it's so harsh for people, but, you know, it doesn't mean like if your culture is going down the road of kind of like becoming this insular cult thing, it doesn't mean that you're bad all of a sudden. It doesn't mean like you are an evil cult. It most likely just means you're not as effective as you could be if you were, you know, sort of being careful and strategic about how you're building this. And, you know, interesting fun fact, a lot of 19th and 20th century cults started off as businesses. And then they just became like more and more insular. And eventually, they just became their own cults. So what specifically, that is super fascinating, what specifically can a a business leader organization do? Um, Do you mind diving a little bit deeper on that? Like how can they um, be careful or avoid from if if it's maybe as part of that plan you described or talked about? Like, do you mind going a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. So one of the things that I do in my company, so I'm the co-founder of a company called Cavness HR, which is we're trying to do like all sorts of virtual HR, make stuff available to small businesses. But I have this program that I do for business leaders and entrepreneurs, which is actually building a culture strategy. And it's based off of building a business plan. So there's something called the business model canvas, which is kind of the cutting edge. Nobody writes the 80 page business plan anymore. You do this visual mapping solution and it's changeable and it's adaptable and it's agile. And you're basically thinking through all the different things you need to start a business. So I have like a culture model canvas and it's kind of marrying, you know, military operations planning with business planning. And I always tell people you don't have to use my culture strategy, of course, but you should have a strategy, a written worked out strategy so that you know, you know, first of all, like, you know, how your values and your purpose and all those kind of high level things actually tie into your everyday tactical decisions and missions um, that you set for your company and that you know what the metrics are that you're measuring and that you know how to put checkpoints in place to make sure that you're not going off track. And so I can give you kind of a an example. Yeah. You know, say that say that we all know, you know, our value is innovation. And so we know that we want to think outside the box and we don't want to work in silos and we want to, you know, stay away from group think. Well, you can set up a, you know, so first of all, you can have a mission set that relates to that, like some project that you're doing. You can have metrics going back to how innovative are we being, but you can also have measurable checkpoints as in. Every team meeting that we have, 25% of the new ideas introduced need to come from outside of our organization. So, you know, I would show up to a meeting and be like, hey, I heard this amazing idea from my friend Devin. What do we all think about it? And we can mark this as, you know, an outside idea that was introduced. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, an active way that we are protecting against groupthink and that we are living up to this value of innovation. Yeah, I, I I like that a lot because, 
you know, just with what you touched on, it's kind of the the yin and the yang to life, right? It's like you can't have good without evil. There's no evil without good, light without darkness, that type of that type of deal, right? And so it it really puts things into perspective because we tend to look at things like, hey, it's super negative, right? Like you like you said, you hear the word cult, you're like, my God, um, I'm immersed in a cult. And but you have to look at the silver lining at times as, you know, against the grain as that may sound, but there's literally good and bad in everything we say, do, and you know, act on. And so you bring up some really important points, especially in the workplace, because um, there needs to be a plan, right? A lot of times you see these business owners, they're really good at what they do. They have a really good product. They are good at, you know, piecing together a business plan or starting a business and getting that off the ground, making money. And then when it comes to people, uh, it's like another universe, right? It's like, you know, they put that piece of the business plan completely on the back end and there's no set plan. So you've got, you know, 50, a hundred, however many employees you've scaled up to and you, you know, first 10 or so have gotten fortunate enough to drive revenue. And, you know, and there's so much emphasis on the sheer money aspect but where was the plan and when did the plan come at, into place if it did at all you know for the actual people component because once that once that machine gets going um you know i i know you've probably lived this firsthand it's kind of hard to undo especially when you're around that and you've created that culture right and you've got those other groups of people that you've then felt like match your original employees and that keeps building. And then, you know, eventually you've got some people there with tenure and those people, they, that personality trickles into the uh, newer employees, no matter what you may have put in place later in the process. But if you haven't started with that from the get go, then, you know, what's the old saying is like, you know, a plan is everything, but then a plan means nothing. Like you have to have a plan regardless if you go away from that plan later on. And so I really heard that coming from you. And I really like how, you're able to kind of navigate, you know, the good and the bad, but also say, Hey, we've also got to think outside of this little box and get outside opinions. Um, so kind of based on some of that, and like, just based on like your experiences that you, you got, like you said, you, you miss that. What are some types of, uh, tips and tricks that you can, you know, put out there for people in leadership or business owners or managers that have a goal um, but maybe they may have certain personality types in that group that's so far left or so far right. How can we bring that to balance and how can we have a meeting of the minds with so many diverse people or with such a underlying culture that may be there w- without any true intention? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I think it is so important what you were saying about good and bad. I like to get people to think about like good and bad are extreme terms. And when we put any extreme terms on anything, Mm -hmm. like this can become a danger sign. You know, everything has positive and negatives to the experience. The spectrum. And when you try to label it as good or bad, then you end up kind of not only not being able to realize the positive aspects of the experience, but there's like a lot of danger to negative experiences also coming out of that. Um, And then, 
you know, the other thing is I think, yeah, you have to have, so first of all, you have to have a strategy because otherwise, like, how are you building? And, you know, nobody ever thinks of themselves as a villain. So you can look back at any group gone horribly wrong. You know, they've done research on this with the Holocaust, with any kind of cult, any kind of whatever, you know, like there was always like a mission and a purpose and a focus and people that believed in this. Like, look at terrorist groups today. Like they are willing to die. They think they're on the right side of history just as much as Mm -hmm. we do. And so if you don't have this plan and you're not able to ask yourself, like, why are we doing this? You know, like, why are we launching this new product? Does this match with our our culture and what we're trying to do? How is it going to impact it? You're, you're definitely like you're building something that is just going to get out of control. And I think that what, oh boy, I just sort of lost my train of thought there. Um, I was talking about the culture plan. Okay. I'm just going to let you ask another question. Sorry. You no, know, you're fine. You were, you were kind of talking about the why and the intent and, and how, you know, that, that within itself, when you're asking yourself, why are we doing these things? It leads you to your ultimate planet. You know, it kind of paints that picture a little bit more thoroughly. Um, and that's kind of what you were getting. Right. At. Yeah. And I remembered where I was trying to go with this with, with the team and the people. Okay. Most businesses do not do a culture plan like the first thing before they realize if their business is going to survive. And a lot of times, even if you do, you know, the values that you choose for yourself and the processes that you use are going to be different when your company is five people than when your company is 50. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a lot of times when you institute this new culture plan, you are going to lose people or you are going to alienate people. And that's, again, you know, people are so scared of being, you know, in sort of setting setting down a value because, oh, you know, what if people don't fit? Well, if people don't fit, then they don't fit. Then, you know, you don't have bad employees. You just have employees that don't fit with your organization and they will be happier somewhere else and you will be happier with them somewhere else. And, you know, turnover in general is, you know, when companies say they have a turnover problem. Well, you don't have a turnover problem. You have a, I don't want to work here problem. And, you know, companies that really are hitting their culture on the nose don't have a problem attracting the right people. And, you know, it's it's sort of similar with values. You know, everybody, I like to use work-life balance as an example. Every company talks about how work-life balance is a huge factor for them, but it's not actually true for every company. And maybe your company doesn't need, like maybe you are an early stage startup, maybe you're Amazon and you tell your employees, like, you're not going to see your family from Thanksgiving to Christmas. You're going to work really, really hard and we're going to pay you well and you're going to build your career. And you're only then going to attract the people that want to do that. You know, some people do like working 80 hours a week and being passionate about what they do and doing it on the weekends. And some people don't. And so if you're able to be really clear about like, this is our value or this just isn't our value, you're going to end up attracting the people that want to be on that team. You're going to have less of a turnover problem. But 100%, if you haven't done a culture plan and you 
get with your team and you determine your culture plan and you start now, you know, hiring and promoting and firing based off of these values and making decisions, like you are going to alienate some people, you are going to lose some people. And it's going to come down to is, you know, are you committed to that? Is that what you really want? Because then in the future, you're only going to attract the right people once you're able to be very clear. Yeah. And that's uh, super interesting for me because I've, um, I've got a pretty extensive background in talent acquisition. So a lot of what you said rang true. And it's also, I think, like anything else that we've talked about so far, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because um, you know, we go in there with that intent, whether we do or not. And like you mentioned, I really like how you highlighted, you know, even, you know, the, the good and the bad, you know, superhero movies, you know, different countries, whatever it may be. We always think we're on the good side. Right. And so that's, what's interesting about sheer, you know, culture and team building, hiring and, you know, talent acquisition as a whole, because, you know, we tend to, if you have, if you're at least going, let's start with at least saying we have, we're going in with an idea, you know, the, the owner or manager is going in with an idea. And like you said, certain environments aren't going to be favorable for certain types of people. And that doesn't make the organization bad. That doesn't make the, uh, you know, employee bad. But I think what the emphasis should be is the candidate experience, right? It's like dating. Um, you know, if we're dating someone, and we figure out later on whether we've been with that person six months, six years, you know, it doesn't really matter. But what was that experience? Because, you know, studies show that over 70% of people, if they have a bad experience, especially on the front end, um, you know, with the onboarding piece or just a sheer recruiting piece, they're 70% or more likely to never consider that company again. And I think that's where a lot of companies miss the mark is that, hey, like you said, you can't always see what's going on, right? You can't see the forest because of the trees, but you also have to remember the experience, right? You can't please everyone, but you at least have to uphold that reputation and say, hey, you know, we may not be for you. You may not be for us, but we want to show you a good experience. And you got to, you know, you got to do that song and dance, especially on the front end of the process is that from the minute that candidate uh, is introduced to your front line, your recruiters, your managers, they're experiencing something all the way from, you know, their first 60, 90 days. And that sets the tone, I think, for, you know, the rest of their time there and really gives you a good boost or a good, uh, uh, or a bad, I should say, um, experience. So, you know, what would you say about that piece as far as like the integrating of culture, um, you know, on the front end, how can, how can companies do that? Right. We've got the plan. We've got what we're looking for. We've kind of got the idea, you know, our, our cultures is, is being built strategically. How can we capture that on the front end of the process? So that way it is transparent and there is, are no smoke and mirrors. Cause especially with these new generations, you know, people are demanding the truth. So I think, you know, um, I'm sure you'll appreciate this with your background that, people a lot of times fail to realize like a huge defining idea in American culture, corporate culture in general started with this man named Adam Smith, not the current congressman. Um, and he basically had this concept that human beings are lazy and they will try to get away with whatever they can. And our whole sort of modern society was based on this idea 
Well, turns out, you know, we've pretty much rejected this concept. And in the 20th, sorry, 21st century, we are, you know, flipping the script that human beings are actually very not lazy. Mm. Like human beings want to excel. Human beings want to do the right thing when nobody's looking. Um, But if you treat them like they're lazy or they're always trying to get away with stuff, of course they don't. So I say that because that's sort of the baseline of the culture, right? That the the World War II generation and then the boomer generation had kind of built very heavily into corporate culture. And, you know, management theory was all based on that. And as you mentioned, these current generations or millennials and our Gen Zers are completely rejecting this concept. Like, I want to be a part of a culture that matches me, where I'm going to be passionate mm-hmm. and where I'm going to be able to you know, contribute the most. And our generations are willing to take less money for a better culture. And this is basically completely confusing everyone. Um, And I think with now to go to your actual question of that first, those first experiences is, you know, first of all, it's very important for the employee, for the person interviewing, for the person going through that experience to realize that they they are interviewing the company too. You know, they need to be asking the questions about what the culture is like and if they're going to fit in. Um, where we used to, we're used to just asking questions in interview like, what's the hours? What is the expectations? But actually, you know, trying to get a feel for, you know, what is the culture? If leadership development is important to you, what kind of leadership development am, am I going to get if I'm working here? You know, um, I've been on interviews where I'm literally like, I have a, she's now three, but she was younger. You know, I have a two-year-old and a special operations husband who's always deployed. I need to know, you know, when you say 40 hours a week, do you mean 40 hours a week or do you mean 80 hours a week? Because that's going to make a huge difference. And, you know, fortunately I had some people be very honest with me to the point where I realized, okay, this is not the right job for me which is so much better than going through the first six months, right? And being miserable and then having to leave. And that's better for me and for the the company. And so, you know, I think like there's this whole mindset shift for the, for the prospective employee themselves. But I also think that's a very important part of the culture strategy for the company. It's what is your onboarding process? And when we're speaking about onboarding process, I like to bring the military back up because everyone, even people that haven't served in the military are familiar with this concept of brotherhood, of we'll jump in front of bullets for each other, of, you know, we have this level of camaraderie that no one else has. And I believe that comes down to the onboarding process. I mean, we spend nine weeks crawling through the mud together, losing sleep together, um, you know, earning the right to wear that uniform, which is essentially to say to be an employee of that company. And so once you go through that level of kind of an intense onboarding process where you've gotten your values aligned and you've, you know, trained and been through conflict with those people, you now have this sense of team. And that's, you know, an interesting challenge that I like to give to business leaders, you know, since you don't own this person, body, heart and soul, how are you going to build this 
these levels of intense onboarding into your employees' first experiences with you, because that is definitely going to influence the rest of their time with you and the rest of your time with them. Yeah, I love that example because (laughs) with the military, you actually know what you're kind of getting into, right? You know what you're signing up for. Nobody's like, hey, we're making cupcakes and baking cookies and, uh, you know, we're going to keep your clothes super clean and you may or may not get shot at, you know, right? So it's like that is very upfront. You know exactly what you're getting into. And obviously there's certain questions you can ask depending on what direction you want to go, right? Um, But I think you hit on that, like, beautifully because being upfront and transparent is the same thing with dating, right? It's crazy how we can relate so much to dating, but the more transparent we are, the better we save time, energy, and money, right? Dating's expensive. Turnover's expensive. You can, you know, bounce these, you know, similarities back and forth in so many ways is that are we really, you know, trying to make sure this is a good fit here? Are we sitting here wasting each other's time? And like you said, there's a big shift and there's a shift in consciousness. And and what we like to talk about on this show is like people like you who are workplace warriors, that's literally leading the troops. And like you said, how do you get somebody to fully buy in? And I think it has to do with uh, giving that person the you know ability and aptitude to make that decision themselves, right? Just like with you and your family, you're able to decide, hey, is this person being transparent with me? Hey, is 40 hours really the truth or is it 45? And even that small of a lie or small of a stretch or um, the smoke and mirrors, right, can set the relationship off to a bad foot. You know, hey, Daniela, we're going to have you working 40 hours a week. Next thing you know, your first week, you're in there 50 hours a week. And, you know, that already puts a, a, a negative emotion and thought in your mind, not only about the company, but, you know, what's going on with your personal life and your family. You know, we spend over a third of our day at work. So it's very much important for transparency and to be honest and real with each other. Um, And so another question that leads into that for us is that, you know, when you do have that lack of transparency and that culture that's not so great, how can we start undoing that, right? You know, kind of like you did with your, your childhood and even into the military and then You even mentioned, you know, missing that, but you were ingrained to a point that like you enjoyed it and you were able to make that decision. But what about people or organizations and leaders that may not be aware and they have that negative culture that they may or may not know that they're building? How can we start undoing that? What's some what's some you know ways that you coach businesses on, you know, how to get out of the weeds in that, you know, in that sense and undo all the damage? Yeah, so a big part of it comes from, again, like, build the strategy, you know, so if you are already deep into a culture that has not been built on purpose, you know, people think that, oh, either I focus on culture or I don't. And it's no, either you're building like a good, strong culture on purpose, or you're building a culture off purpose. You know, you don't just not have a culture. So you just they make and a plan. So, Is that what you'd say? Like even so are like, oh shoot, we're going down. So like let's all right, now let's start to plan even when things are maybe like all over the place. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's never too late to just, you know, kind of go back to square one and get your team together and create a plan. And that's kind of what my whole process is built around. And then 
you know, of course you have to start implementing that plan and there's going to be growing pains. Like you're going to lose people. You're going to have to confront issues that you've never confronted before. So much, so many culture issues come from just kind of this lack of a plan, lack of transparency, lack of talking to people. You know, if you go out and ask your people what things matter to them and you make it clear that they can tell you or tell someone else, this is why sometimes companies hire outside consultants to do this, um, then they're going to tell you and they're going to give you the answers that you need, you know, for for what is important mm-hmm. for this company. And so simple it sometimes, right? When we overcomplicate it. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the the interesting things when we're talking about generations is, you know, again, we're still going on this idea that like, oh, new people or young people have to prove themselves and we're not going to trust them until they prove themselves trustworthy. And if you flip that script and you realize like, first of all, we shouldn't hire you if we don't trust you. But then once you're on board, you know, we should give people our trust. And this concept that I love is everyone loves to be an expert. So if you can figure out one area of expertise to assign to each member of your team, and then let them, you know, as long as you're like, you're clear, like, these are our values, this is our purpose, this is our roadmap, this is where we're going. Your job is to be in charge of this you know, they will take that and they will run with it and they will build amazing things. And then your job as the leader is to just keep everybody on track. I think that's awesome. We've talked a lot too about um, kind of the leaders. I mean, they obviously play such a critical role in this process of building the plan, shaping the plan. You started to touch a little bit there on like, um, you know, what a leader can expect an employee to do, but I'd love your perspective too on what an employee can do in either type of environment. Like what is their role to play? Uh, what, you know, direction or instruction or guidance would you give them if they're in either type of environment? You know, one that's going more towards group think and doesn't have that plan first. And then maybe um, what their role is to play when there actually is a, a pretty decent plan. Yeah. So I think, you know, the big thing for employees is speak up. And obviously part of this comes down to the leader and the culture. And if they've built that in, you know, I think from just real quickly from the leader side, if you have a team of five or more people and you think everyone agrees with you, that doesn't mean you're approachable. That means you're not approachable. (laughs) Like No matter how approachable you think you are, more than five people Mm -hmm. are not agreeing perfectly on the same concept. So you need to flip that around and make sure everyone understands that they can bring up different ideas. But, you know, with sort of from the employee side or from the people that want to, to influence culture and step into change, you know, I think that if you have that plan and you have those values, then employees are able to bring that up and they should, and they should be encouraged to kind of actively engage with, well, you say our value is this. So here's this thing I want to introduce. It matches this value. How about it? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way that, you know, that plan can help not just the leader, but even the low level employees. And, you know, if, if the culture you're talking about like a negative culture now, and I think, 
you know, this whole culture strategy and mission and purpose and values for companies is also important thing for individuals to do. And there's a lot of different, you know, coaches and vision exercises and people that do this with individual people. And it's like, look, if you know who you are, you know, and you know what your values are and what you're trying to go for, then don't waste your time trying to fix a culture that doesn't want to be fixed. Just take yourself to a different culture. That's honestly what I think of from the like sort of low level employee. Yeah. And because, you know, everybody has a voice now too, like you mentioned, and um, now more than ever, there's so many outlets and platforms and things of that sort. And, you know, it, it, it allows us to express ourselves a little bit more, whether it's LinkedIn or podcasts or videos, or just like you said, asking questions. Um, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's super important. And I think Devin, I think you may have had something you wanted to, wanted to ask. Yeah, no, I just, I thought that was fantastic. I was just curious what you had to say, but, um, yeah, I think that's so important what you said, Danielle, about, um, like employees have to embrace that responsibility, uh, being part of the process just as much. And like you said, leaders should be the one to kind of nurture that and create that that safety, um, that psychological safety that's become a very um, important and popular term nowadays that, you know, Google discovered in their studies about teams and people. But um, yeah, no, I was I was just curious what you, what you had to say, um, since I know that's what you did when you were in environments that you felt like it wasn't true to you anymore. But I especially love what you said about people have to be so clear about who they are. And it seemed like you were that way when you went for that job interview and you knew, yeah, sure. It was kind of like basic logistics stuff. Um, but it wasn't just about the total amount of hours, but it was also about what you valued in spending time with your daughter, you know? So yeah, I think too many people still do let too much of that to chance, or they're just so hungry or sometimes even desperate to get a job or get into a place. And that ends up really, negatively impacting them in the long run and it's worse for everybody in the long run. So I just really appreciate that you said that, like start with being clear who you are. And then if you have come across a place that you know is not going to be where you're going to belong, mm-hmm. like save yourself yep. and everyone else the pain, you know? So yeah, I appreciate that you said that. Yeah. And I also, you know, I think there's this, this concept of loyalty and loyalty is one of those like values or concepts that I think is, is great, but it's also very, very dangerous, right? Because loyalty can be the number one thing that kills like dissent and critical thinking and all of those other things. And, you know, we used to say this in the military as we're developing our our soldiers and employees, like, look, got it. Like you're here, you're on a mission, you're willing to die for this. But at the end of the day, the army will go on without you. So you need to make sure like this is right for your life. And, you know, Devin was at a, a panel where I was talking about, you know, I left the army at the end of my pretty great career, sort of in protest, you know, not enough is being done to fix some very harmful cultural things that are causing suicide, that are causing sexual assault and all of these other things. And, you know, at the end of the day, as much as I loved it and as dedicated I was, you know, I'm not going to spend my whole life fighting this fight because the military is going to march on without me. So I'm going to go take myself to a place that fits my values and what I want to do. 
And I think that's so important for employees to realize is like, look, no matter how dedicated you are to this company, like it either will or won't go on without you, but that's not your, you know, you need to have your Ooh, mission for your life. I like that, man. I mean, cause that ties at our core, what, you know, work, workplace warrior is all about because like the army, I mean, you're talking about a massive machine, right? Like you're, it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's, it's a, it's a, it's massive. So, you know, you scale that down to a company and then you compare that to the military, which I love how you just did that. And you start to see like, it will go on. And I think that's where companies, especially when it's money, right? Like <laughs> your company's worth a, a few, you know, million dollars, you know, a few hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, like what is 700,000, 100,000, 200,000 at that point. And then you look at that individual as like a number, as like a financial responsibility. And that's, that at its core is what we are trying to address here on the Workplace Warrior. And I think you just drove everything home full circle right there. It's like, look, you know, no matter how big you get, no matter how successful your company gets, no matter how large your organization gets or the military has gotten right at the end of the day, it is your responsibility while that person is fighting for you, for fighting for your country, fighting for their livelihood, fighting and representing and putting their all blood, sweat, and tears. People take their careers very seriously. Not everybody can be an entrepreneur. You know, not, not everybody can go out and start some random business and be successful, but they can be an awesome employee. And then if it wasn't for employees or teams, we wouldn't have organizations. We wouldn't have the military, right? If everybody was leaders or if everybody was corporals or at the, at the top, right? Is where, you know, how can we make up this as a group? And so I, I love how you brought that full circle and, uh, you know, before we, before we go today, I just want to give you an opportunity to share with the audience where they can find you, you know, what, you, you know, where they can find you on social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, you know, tell us a little bit too, where we can find your up and coming book, because I'm, I don't know about the rest of you all, but I'm definitely going to check that out just based off your sheer journey. And that is a workplace warrior journey. And I thank you so much for sharing that and would love to hear where we can follow you. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the interesting thing about the book is it's, you know, technically a memoir and it's definitely telling stories, but it's literally all about this idea that human beings will do anything to be a part of a group but human beings also can't survive without being a part of a group. And so it's, you know, I'm going to share my stories of growing up in a cult, mm. of serving in war, and then of sort of America today. And what is the intersection of the groups that we're all a part of? Um, you know, not to mention what is going on in our country. So that's the, that's the book. And it's, you know, hopefully we're in the process of sort of traditional publishing which is oh, its yeah. whole own entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, but my website is Daniela Mestinek doc, sorry, Daniela Mestinek young.com. So that is www.daniellamestyanekyoung.com. 
And people can go there and they can read, you know, I've done articles and podcasts. And so if you're interested in sort of just more of the story, you can read some of that. And then you can also sign up for my mailing list, which will not spam you at all. It will potentially have some like cool onesies and twosies chapters going out in the future. And then, of course, announcements about the book as it's going to be published Uh, My company website is www.cavnesshr.com, which is C-A-V-N-E-S-S-H-R.com. And I can, of course, send all the links for this. I'm also like super happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I'm really active on Twitter. And that's Daniela Mestinek Young on pretty much everything where you can find me and engage with me and bring me into your company to give a talk or help you with a culture plan or just I love it. Questions. Thank you so much for for sharing that journey with us today. And it's it's truly been a pleasure for all of you listening. I thank you for tuning in to the Workplace Warrior and hearing Daniela's journey and how she is truly leading the fight and elevating human consciousness within corporate America. Thank you all and look forward to having you all here soon. Thank you for having me as well.